baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Mark Reardon Show. There's no big energy coming out of the Democratic Party. <laughs> Shock, disgust, happiness, sweat, a little bit of lust, baby. It's go time time. It's go, no go, lock and load, love him and leave him, smoke him if you got him, see you when I see you, because it's time for Mark Reardon time. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Well, we made it through the first hour, and the wheels are still on the bus. That's a good thing. That means Kyle is making sure that everything is good. It is caucus day in Iowa. We are finally going to find out what the voters actually think and stop hearing about what the pundit thinks. Well, we won't stop, but at least we'll have some actual numbers to go with that. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe is joining us on the phone right now. Governor, how are you, sir? Mike, how are you doing, buddy? It's good to hear that you haven't messed up the first hour. (laughs) You know, you never know. It is a holiday. I hope your MLK Day is is going well. Are you keeping up on what's going on with all the pregame coverage of the caucus? Yes, I mean it's an interesting process, isn't it? And uh, it, it is. There'll be lots of uh, there'll be lots of analysts uh, analyzation before and after. So I'd say by this time tomorrow, we'll be analyzed out. When you're looking at at things like this, I mean, you're a guy who's been elected statewide. You understand, you know, what goes into to that level. When you watch these guys go into Iowa and they they barnstorm the state, and as they call it, they they grassly it right. They a lot of them have been to all 99 counties. DeSantis has done that. Uh, Ramaswamy has been there to every county twice. I can't imagine that. I know you have been running for governor for it's been like two years that you've been out on the on the campaign trail. When you look at a race like this, what gets you? What do you take a special interest in when you watch things like this? Well, in Iowa specifically, the candidates are going to have to make sure they understand what Iowa is all about. I mean, you mentioned 99 counties. Missouri has 114 counties plus the city of St. Louis. And in Iowa, as you know, agriculture, just like Missouri, uh, agriculture is very, very important to them. And, and um, as you and I both know, the ag people, the, the ag family, I call them, they, they don't, um, I mean, they're pretty direct. <laughs> they, they want to hear what's on somebody's mind, and they think they have a pretty good meter when somebody's not really uh, connecting with them. So I think the candidates that connect with them very well um, are the ones that will do well today. I know the president is up there and working hard. Um, he, all the polls show that he'll suggest that he'll be ahead. And I think the reason is, is he connects very well with the working person. He also has done a ton for agriculture when he was, when President Trump was in office, he's done a ton for agriculture. So um, those are the kind of connections people want to see and do. They want to know that government's going to be out of their life. They want to know that they can you know, go on with their lives like normal people. Like I tell people all the time, Missourians are pretty smart. We don't need government telling you what to do all the time. So I was a big state just like Missouri. I've been to all 114 counties multiple times. And um, some of them just a couple, but many of them, you know, dozens. And um, people want to see you. They want to hear from you. They want to see if you're real, if your story connects with them, I think is very important um, on what, what folks are going to hear in Iowa, much the same 
as the Midwest here in Missouri. You know, I, I think that speaks very truly about the whole BS meter. My world's not yours. But, uh, you know, when, when people Thank are you. I fake. was struggling to find something for that, and I, <laughs> I'm glad you bailed me out of that. It's, you know, it, it, it's one of those kind of things where people show up and they just want to, you know, regurgitate talking points that somebody in research said this polls really well. And, and I think if, if you see candidates go in and they do that, I think people just call BS on it, and and they feel it. And it's one of those kind of things where uh, I think Missouri and Iowa are a lot alike for a lot of the things that you've talked about. And when you're going there, people want to connect with you. I mean, at the end of the day, where we sit right now, Bidenomics has done a really good job of really pointing out that our life was much better four years ago than it is now. And, and we're able to really do a compare and contrast between that. As you know, 35 years, over 35 years in small business, that's what I prefer to do day to day. That's what I've been doing my whole life, my wife, my family, and I. Um, I can tell you that in most of that retail, I can tell you that people really do pick up on whether you care about them and you care about what's going on in their life very quickly. Um, Midwesterners especially, I think they're really good at picking up on whether you understand what's going on versus just you read the hottest thing on social media that day or you saw the hottest poll topic to your point. I think they really do have a good gut if you absolutely understand what it's like. Have you carried your lunch to work? Have you struggled to make a house payment? Have you faced the problems that Bidenomics has caused us today? Have you paid more for milk? Are you paying a higher mortgage rate? All of the things that we're seeing that's just been horrible policies come out of Washington, D.C., are something that's affecting the everyday American and the everyday Iowan and Missourian. Like. So people want to know that you understand what's actually happening and that you feel their pain and that you actually have a plan to help this get better. I, I think it's really important to do that. I, you know, face-to-face politics, uh, you do it all the time at the local level, but as you go up, it gets tougher and tougher. So I appreciate starting in Iowa like that. I, I can't imagine what a what a kick in the gut it was for the folks in Iowa when President Biden said, we're not even going to do a caucus in Iowa, and, and we're not even going to go to New Hampshire. We're going to start everything in, in South Carolina. I mean, what a great way to tell people, you don't matter to me. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm guess I'm somewhat pleased he remembered those are states in the United States. Because <laughs> most days he's not sure where he is, but that just shows you how out of touch, in my opinion, the Democrat Party is. Um, they are not in touch with the average person in the United States, the average person in Missouri, on what their problems are and what we're facing, and then what's important to us. They're just not in touch. They can win a national election by winning a handful of states, and that's what they're going to concentrate on. Whereas Republicans, conservatives, we're out there talking to everybody. We're talking to every state. In our case, we're talking to every county. We're trying to make sure we understand what is important to them and really look in somebody's eyes and listen and care about what their problems are and then figure out what we need to do to move the economy forward, move education forward, move the things that are important to these folks forward. Uh, That's what we want to do. You know, I'm watching this back and forth between what the president is doing And looking at our border states, and I guess we're up now to uh, some estimates are saying uh, between 9 and 11 million people have crossed the border because they've figured out that they've missed an awful lot of gotaways. Uh, You know, there there is no accurate number to know how many people have come into our country illegally and just flooded across that border. But 
Every state, they keep talking about every state is a border state now. But those policies that he has are affecting states like Missouri, aren't they, in a very negative way? Yeah, Mike, you and I talk about it, and you're right. Every state is a border state. And it's a sad reality is they have no idea how many tens of thousands of people are coming in. In any other situation, we'd, we would say we're at war. I mean, it's that bad. Yeah. With the amount, amount of, not only the amount of people that are coming in, the amount of fentanyl is coming in, as you and I have talked many times, number one killer of 18 to 42-year-olds in Missouri. I mean, these people that are coming up illegally and selling our residents fentanyl, especially the lethal fentanyl that is taking their lives, they should be charged with murder one. Uh, it's a shame that we're in that spot that we have to do that. Border security has to be number one. And I don't care if your listener is a Democrat or a Republican, whoever they are, we have to secure our borders. And if we don't do that, we're going to come unraveled so fast in this country, it's unbelievable. The people who are paying taxes, you and I, and many of your listeners, most of your listeners, are all of a sudden, we're going to be the ones that supplementing the benefits that these immigrants need when they come across the border, not to mention all the other problems that it causes. So securing our border, every state is a border state, securing our border has got to be the number one priority that we as a country get done as we move forward in this next election. It's really kind of crazy. I was seeing the story, and I believe it was New York, where they actually kicked kids out of school and they put these immigrants into their school. I think it only happened for a couple of days. Uh, but they, they sent kids home to do remote learning because they prioritize people who are in the country illegally over people who over kids who were attending school. I mean, there are so many issues that keep coming up that you just have to shake your head and say, how out of touch are, are you actually going to be? But I, I bring that up to ask you this. As you've been traveling around the 114-plus counties here in Missouri and talking to the voters, what are the things that people keep bringing back to you? I'm sure they're, you know, people love to tell you what's wrong. And I'm sure people are telling you, look, this has got to get fixed when you become governor. What are the big things that they're putting on your plate these days? Well, for one, it is insanity what you saw in that school up in New York. Can you imagine that we'd ever even be talking about this? That is just so unbelievable. No, I, I, can't. I don't think anybody really can get their arms around that, that we kick kids out of school to allow a place for illegal immigrants to come into a building. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost bizarre. But the number one thing that folks talk about, and it's very consistent, it's from one corner of the state to the other, is crime, keeping our community safe. It is the number one thing that has people concerned. Some of it, by the way, is tied to what we were talking about, to the border crisis, to the amount of people that are coming up into our country illegally. But just getting crime under control, stop coddling the criminals back, the men and women in blue who want to keep our community safe. Put the right prosecutors in place that will take care of the bad guys and keep them off of the streets. That's the number one thing. And, and I tell everybody that's fixable. I didn't say it was easy, but it's fixable. We can do this. We can be the most uh, protected state in the United States as far as taking care of our citizens, making sure we're the most law enforcement friendly state in the state. We are going to crack down on crime, period, and bring safety and comfort back to these communities so people can understand they can go outside without being shot. You know, I wanted to ask you, we were talking with Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. Um, as Lieutenant Governor, you preside over the Senate, and you get an opportunity to be right there. I saw you uh, gaveling in the Senate uh, to start things about a week and a half ago. Um, 
How is session starting, in your opinion? Are you are you seeing things happen the way you expected, or has this first couple of weeks of session surprised you with anything? Well, I've unfortunately been around that building long enough. I don't get surprised anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first couple of weeks, there's usually a lot of positioning, people trying to make sure that other members of the body understand their priorities. And as I tell you all the time, it's about relationships. Right. And uh, politics, you can be a conservative. You can be, I consider myself conservative to the core, but you can also govern. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And so many people who get into politics these days believe that there's no way you can move the ball down the field and still be conservative. You can do both. And so that's what you see a lot of times is you find folks who are kind of positioning for what they feel like they need to be. But the thing they have to remember is the relationships is what you're going to need to ultimately get that piece of legislation passed or that piece of legislation if it's bad blocked. And if you don't understand how important relationships are, we're going to, you're going to be very aggravated in that building. And we as a state are going to be spinning our wheels. Have you gotten any, uh, I'm, I'm sure you probably get some heads up as to what the governor is going to talk about in his state of the state that's coming up here in a week and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the budget is going to be a more challenging than it has been in the past. We saw, you know, budget growth over the last couple of years, mainly because of federal dollars coming in. Um, and so those days are gone, and that's fine. We know how to balance our budget. And we will balance our budget. So I think his conversation in state of the state is going to be largely about the budget, what we're going to have to do to make sure that we meet the needs of, as we talked about earlier, crime in our communities, education, economic development, helping agriculture, the things that matter to our state to move forward. That's what uh, I believe Governor Parson will be concentrating on. That's where he's, that's what he's done in the past. Uh, but I know he's going to paint the picture to legislators that so we're going to have to make some tough decisions with the budget because uh, this is the first year it's going to be tough. The next couple of years, I think we're going to run into some challenges. And that's why I think you need somebody who understands budgets, who understands relationships, and who understands how to keep the state moving forward in difficult times. Well, Lieutenant Governor Mike Keogh, I appreciate you making some time for us on an MLK Day. I hope you're enjoying uh, some time with your family and you're able to recharge your batteries. And more than anything, you're staying warm. It it got winter real quick around here. It got winter real quick. A lot of frozen pipes around the Kehoe household and farm these days. So Actually, they just had uh, the St. Louis County Jail had a story today. They uh, had pipes burst at the St. Louis County yeah. Jail today. So they're, so they're fighting it's that. It's incredible. And I would urge your listeners, make sure if you know somebody who needs a place to go, there are warming shelters and places all across the region up there. Heat Up St. Louis is an unbelievable organization that I've had the good fortune of working with uh, to help folks out with utility issues. Um, there's lots of resources out there. And if you've got problems because of this cold, or you've got problems because of the current you know, economy and situation we're living in, there's lots of things that you can turn to, and let's help our neighbors out and make sure we keep everybody warm and safe. That is Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. We appreciate the time today. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Uh, we are going to talk with John Hancock on the other side of this break. Uh, one half of Hancock and Kelly, they are celebrating an anniversary here at the Odyssey Radio Group. Going back to uh, KMOX, what is it, 15 years? I think it is that, that they've been on the air. 
I see it on the screens all around when you when you walk around. So we're going to catch up with John on the other side. It's Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk, 97.1 FM Talk. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide You're listening to The Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. Happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the day off. Uh, hope you're at least staying warm. Uh, if you're thinking it's really cold, just be glad you don't live in Iowa because you could have to go caucus in minus 37. That just sounds horrible to me, but we'll we'll figure out how that works a little bit later on. John Hancock is joining us. Mr. Hancock, how are you, sir? I am delighted to be on the radio with the best voice on radio, Mike Elam. Look at you. Aren't you nice? Hey, happy anniversary to you and Mr. Kelly. Is it 15 years that you guys have with the Odyssey Group now? It is 15 years. We got a $20 Starbucks gift card. Congratulations. <laughs> that's that's more than what I get for doing this. So that's awesome. 15 years, I got something to, to look forward to. <laughs> exactly. Hey, are you watching all this caucus stuff as, as they're doing the pregame? It, I, they're pregaming more for the Iowa caucuses than they do for the Super Bowl. Have you seen that? Yeah, I'm afraid I have been paying attention, Mike. And um, I don't think there's going to be that much drama tonight, but you never know for sure. Do you think this solves anything tonight? Or do you think we're, we're just going to keep carrying this over all the way to South Carolina? Yeah, well, so a couple of things. I expect Donald Trump's going to win handily tonight. Uh, so if he doesn't, that will be a huge surprise. And I think the only the only one of the major the candidates that are left that this could have a you know deciding effect on is Ron DeSantis. If he if he finishes third behind uh, Trump and Haley, uh, I I don't see a path forward for him because I can't see how the money's going to come from there. He's not. He's not playing in New Hampshire. If he finishes third in Iowa, where he was banking everything, and they put together a pretty good ground operation. Uh, so if he finishes third there, I think the money dries up. And when the money drives, dries up in, in a presidential campaign, you're, you're done. So uh, he's the only one that may have a consequential evening. Uh, but if he finishes second, he lives to fight another day. Yeah, I just don't see anything uh, changing other than that. I think DeSantis has got to finish second. And I think for your money issue that you talked about, and you know this much better than I do, I think for his money to flow, he can't just finish second. He's got to finish a strong second. Otherwise, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I don't see it. Well, it, you know, here's the thing about Iowa. There's almost always a surprise in Iowa. Uh, and it could be anything. It could be Ramaswamy getting 15%. could be the surprise. I mean, but there's almost always something in Iowa that, that people didn't expect to see. So, you know, we'll be 
will be tuned in for that this evening. If it plays out the way the polls are, which it could, uh, you're going to see Trump with a substantial, probably 20-point lead, uh, followed by Haley and DeSantis neck and neck for second and Ramaswamy a distant third. Uh, Anything other than that will be surprising. How long do you think before we're talking about who's going to be Trump's VP? Do you think there's there's anything after, that's going to stop after, this? It could be after New Hampshire. Certainly, would be after South Carolina. And so, and you've got the Nevada caucuses in in between there, which will be, you know, somewhat significant. Not not so much, but I think by if if Trump runs the table from Iowa to New Hampshire to South Carolina, then I think this thing is effectively over. Yeah, I I just don't see anything derailing this. I mean, unless unless there's something from one of these legal challenges, and we're going to talk to Will Sharp after this to to learn more since he's on one of Trump's legal teams. But uh, unless something surprises us from there, I just don't see anything derailing this. And- you know, I, I, and there's nothing that's going to happen on the legal front that hasn't already happened. Uh, that's going to be significant, I think, in terms of the Republican electorate. So I don't see that being a factor. The only thing, and I think you're talking about a 1% to 2% chance that something like this could happen, uh, would be if Haley finishes better than expected in second place tonight and she's within, you know, a dozen, 15 points of Trump. If she then goes on and wins New Hampshire and then goes on and wins South Carolina, now you've got a contest. But the odds of that happening, Mike, are 1%. I don't expect it. I would be shocked if it happened. But that's the only scenario where anything other than what we've already described would occur. What do you think about this new uh, moniker that has come up of Never Nikki? What do you think about that that showed up all of a sudden? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think DeSantis was seen as the biggest threat to Trump for the better part of the last year. And so all of the pro-Trump firepower had been focused on Ron DeSantis. Uh, now it's become clear in light of the debates that you know DeSantis is less of a threat and Haley is more of a threat. So I'm not surprised to see this. I thought it was interesting that you're seeing a lot of the never-Trumpers have moved to Nikki's side. So now you've got the, the never-Trump, and then you've got now the, the never-Nikki's. And that's just how yeah. we're going to end up running this out. We've always got to have a nickname these days, don't we? For it to be cool, and it's got to have a nickname. Apparently, that's the, that's the case, yeah. In, in my day, uh, which was many, many years ago, Michael, um, <laughs> you, you didn't have that so much because Lord knows what nicknames I would have had. Hey, well, I, I, I've had a lot of nicknames that I don't I don't think are radio appropriate. But, you know, that's, that's how it's going <laughs> to go. Right there, Hey, I wanted to ask you about your uh, Hancock and Kelly show. I was watching you over the weekend, and yeah. uh, one of the things that that you guys talked about was the state of the state, the state of the county that happened this past week in St. Louis County. And yeah. one, one of the big things that got announced on that was St. Louis County has a brand new logo that they were so proud to push out there. And evidently, they paid some company $90,000 to come up with this new logo. And then shortly after that, it comes out that that is actually a logo that's being used by a medical company out in California, minus 
<laughs> minus one part in the middle. But it looks extremely familiar. <laughs> what, a, what a debacle. Uh, you know, I would have done him a logo for 2500 just for the record. <laughs> um, but but uh, it, it, here's, the, here's the real tone-deaf part of all of this, okay? They knew. Sam Page knew going into that state of the county address that he was going to ask for a massive property tax increase and make a case for why it's so desperately needed that we raise everybody's property tax. And at the same time they roll out that, which is a political, you know, uh, anchor. Yeah. They roll out this $90,000 new logo. I mean, I can't conceive of a worse idea. And, you know, what's wrong with that wagon or whatever the heck that thing was that we've got now? I, I, I agree that St. Louis County's logo looks old. I mean, it's over 30 years old, and it looks it, right? It's not attractive. It doesn't really say anything about you. But for him to say, well, the arch is really St. Louis City. No, the arch is the St. Louis region. And you can't yeah. run away from it. I mean, that's that's who we are. That's what everyone around the country uh, associates with this area of the country. But well, of to, course. To come out with that and, and to say that was just kind of crazy. And I'm like, well, I man. Mean, I mean, between the, between the medical company in California uh, and, and the New Orleans Saints, <laughs> you know, it's not exactly like this is a unique, distinctive feature of St. Louis. Yeah, we're really stretching. I mean, I don't know why we're trying to hold on to that French heritage so hard, but because no one speaks French here, we we barely speak English these days, uh, well, especially downtown. What, if, they, if they keep running this town the way they are, the the logo ought to be a light switch because the the last one out's going to turn off the light. I mean, you know, it's not. It's just not. We're not in a good place right now, uh, it, regionally in St. Louis County, which has run a deficit now for multiple years in a row, which was unheard of for the last century, uh, is is really distressing to me. I, I just can't believe that they did that. I agree with you. It's extremely tone deaf. And I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking, but I don't know why someone didn't say something to him about it. And I saw I, I posted a thing on Facebook and said, is it just me or do these two things look very similar when I put the two logos <laughs> together? And some. Somebody, I hadn't heard that, but that's hilarious. Somebody uh, was talking about the fact of why didn't they do a create the logo contest? And they could have paid $10,000 for whoever created the best logo. And they could have put that out there. And I thought, yeah. that's actually a, a great idea. You know, there's yeah. there's civic pride. Someone locally did it. You You got everybody excited and talking about it. This thing just came out of nowhere. Did you even know that they were looking at a new logo? I was not aware of Logo Gate. Um, <laughs> no, it's, you know. Of all the pressing issues facing the St. Louis area, creating a new logo was, was not on my bingo card. I didn't have that anywhere. So well, you, got the, you got the Board of Aldermen taking positions on the Israel-Gaza uh, conflict, and now you've got St. Louis County putting the Fleur de Lis out as the the new logo. I, uh, there are more pressing things to worry about here. And evidently, wars are are not that pressing for the defense secretary because uh, it's okay for him to be AWOL and be in the hospital while we have two warring fronts that are going on that that we're involved in. But yet, he doesn't have to tell his boss that he's going into the hospital. 
how do well, we I end think, up in this? Well, and I think the bigger question, you know, Lloyd Austin's medical care, whatever. The bigger question is, how is the president of the United States not talking on a daily, if not multiple, multiple time daily basis with the secretary of defense? When yes. you've got all of these foreign things and not not to mention Gaza, not to mention Ukraine. Our ships are being targeted by the Houthis hundreds of times, uh, you know, in, in the Middle East. So how is the president unaware that the secretary of defense is unavailable? And if he's unavailable, how does the president not ask, why is he unavailable? How did he not know? I think that's the bigger scandal here. And it's uh, it's pretty distressing. You know, it, it's you keep pulling back layers of this onion of the Biden administration and it becomes painfully obvious without too many layers disappearing that Joe Biden is not running anything in D.C. Someone else yeah. is running this because yeah. he didn't know Austin was was sick. He didn't know he was out. The second for Austin was out of the country on vacation. He didn't even know that he was going in for these treatments. It makes you wonder who is actually running things in the White House because the people that we know of obviously are not the ones making the calls. Yeah, and I don't know that I don't know that we know who that person is. You know, Ron Klain was the chief of staff for the first couple of years. He's gone. And, you know, I, you almost I, I almost am tempted to think it's kind of a just a committee of people running around. Anthony Blinken's out there doing his thing. Janet Yellen on the economy. I, I don't know that anybody is actually in charge. And, and that's how you kind of maybe can explain a gap like not knowing where your defense secretary is. It's it's one of those kind of things that there are a lot of things about the Biden administration that frighten me. And this may be the number one, because we really don't know who is the man behind the curtain right now who is pulling all the switches. And it's become painfully obvious that we really don't know that. And you're seeing these policies that are coming down and it 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 plays out to the standpoint of you go, well, why is Joe Biden who he is now compared to who he was in the Senate for 50 years? And you get it because it's not Joe Biden at all. So things are kind of crazy. I'm I'm curious uh, what we're going to find out next. And that scares the hell out of me, to be perfectly honest with you, John, as to what's going to happen next. Well, I mean, and, and the stakes are so high. They you are. Know, back in the 19-teens, Woodrow Wilson had a stroke, was incapacitated. His wife ran the country for a year and a half. And that was, the, you know, post-World War I. Uh, it was a, you know, perilous time, but nothing like what we're dealing with today. And to have a president who's not actually maneuvering the levers of, of government is very concerning, very destabilizing, and potentially catastrophic. Well, I look forward to finding out uh, who's going to actually come out of Iowa as the lead for the Republicans and how these numbers are going to shake out. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Congratulations again on 15 years with Odyssey. That's big. Yeah. And you know what? In that whole 15 years, I've never had hair. So <laughs> it, hadn't well, been, it hadn't been that long. I just love the fact that you and Michael Kelly still talk after 15 years. You know, most marriages don't make it that long. So you... We played snooker today. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. It's good to spend time on a holiday. John Hancock, I appreciate your time today, man. You bet, Mike. Take care. That is John Hancock, a, a guy who is always informed on a lot of kind of stuff. Speaking of a very well-informed guy, 
Uh, Will Schaff is going to join us on the other side. We are going to talk to him. He is on President Trump's legal team. He is also running for Missouri uh, Attorney General. So we will catch up with him on the other side. It's Mike Elaman for Mark Reardon today on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk, 97.1 FM Talk. What happened to the girl I used to know? You let your mind out somewhere down the road. Don't bring me down. No, 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 no. You're listening to The Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. It's Mike Elaman for Mark Reardon today on 97.1 FM Talk. He was on Annie Fry's show last week, and I said, man, I wish I could sit down and talk with that guy. And Brad luckily passed his number along to me. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome Will Sharf to the show? Will, how are you? Doing great. Happy Iowa caucus day to you, and thanks so much for having me on. Man, I am excited to talk to you because you have got to be one of the busiest guys that that I know of. I mean. You're a former federal prosecutor. You're working on the Trump legal team and getting some nice, uh, nice airtime, by the way, uh, for, for being part of that. But you're also trying to squeeze in a whole run for Missouri attorney general. Do you sleep or do you just like run all the time on coffee? Uh, I sleep very little. I drink a lot of coffee. But, you know, it's important work that we're doing, whether it's defending Trump, whether it's getting around the state, talking to uh, Republicans really in every corner of Missouri. It's uh, it's rewarding work. It's work that I'm happy to do, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. You know, you have you've been a a part of some really big legal teams. Um, you were at the confirmation with Brett Kavanaugh, with Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, you're involved in in all of this stuff that's going along with President Trump and his legal team. But the thing that I I thought was kind of amazing to me, and and I don't mean this as any type of slam on Missouri attorneys. But when you were talking with Annie last week, I was amazed at how big of a presence the state of Missouri attorneys have in President Trump's legal team and made me feel like we need to give you guys more respect. Our Missouri attorneys are pretty darn good. Yeah, you know, last uh, last Tuesday we were in front of the D.C. Circuit. Uh, I was at counsel's table with John Sauer, who's another outstanding Missouri lawyer, uh, former solicitor general of the state under Josh Hawley and, and Eric Schmidt. Uh, John presented arguments in front of the D.C. Circuit. Uh, and sitting right next to us was President Donald J. Trump, which was a, a, a pretty big trip, and it was great having him in court with us. But, yeah, Missouri is uh, – is an important state. It's a big state, and it's a particularly important state for people who care about the conservative movement and for people who care about taking our country back. Missouri is leading the way. How did all of you guys get connected with President Trump? I know you have a, a history with them. Where did that history come from? You know, it's something that just sort of happened. I've been writing about and speaking about some of President Trump's cases publicly. I spoke with some members of his team. Uh, and then they, they asked me to join the team, and, and I, uh, I, I pulled together some, some friends of mine to, to join as well. I'd rather not get into any more details than that because, you know, we might touch on privilege. But uh, it's something that just sort of happened. It's not something that I was expecting to do. Um, but I think it's just really important for conservatives to be willing to put themselves on the line now more than ever. 
you know, you have these cases against President Trump. He's called it a, a campaign of election interference against him, essentially a, conspira- a legal conspiracy against him. I think it's really important that conservative lawyers be willing to stand up and fight against this perversion of our system of justice, really this perversion of, of the rule of law, uh, all in the, you know, in the effort to just get President Trump at all costs. I think it's disgraceful. I'm proud to be part of the team, and it's, it's truly an honor. So you were just talking about the arguments that got made uh, this past week. When do you expect to hear the next phase of this particular trial? You know, so we, we presented arguments on presidential immunity in front of the D.C. Circuit last week. We could hear from them tomorrow. We could hear from them a, a month from now. We really don't know. Uh, from there, uh, the, the next step would be taking the case to the on-bank D.C. Circuit. Uh, that's uh, all of the judges of the D.C. Circuit sitting together. And from there, this will, this will likely go up to the Supreme Court. I think both we and the government believe that this is a case that, that merits a, attention by the Supreme Court. Uh, so that's the pathway forward. Uh, but then in addition to that, there are just any number of other cases that are moving through the courts as well. You have the unconstitutional effort in Colorado to take President Trump off the ballot. Uh, you have this Georgia prosecution that's now blowing up in the face of, of Fannie Willis, the Democrat DA down in Fulton County. Uh, you have New York in the background. There's just a lot going on right now, and there are a lot of fronts to be to be fighting on. You know, I, I agree. There, there are so many different things that keep coming up. And it seems like every time he gets another charge that gets leveled against him, his poll numbers tend to go up. And I think we're going to find out just how strong that is here in a few hours when we start getting these results back from Iowa. And uh, I think everybody's kind of looking forward to saying, look, the pundits have all had their say. I was just talking to John Hancock before you, and I said it feels like the pregame for the Iowa caucus lasts longer than the Super Bowl. We just we just keep talking about this. I'm ready to snap the ball and, and actually play the game and, and see this happen. But in, in the case that you're arguing in front of the D.C. Circuit and looking specifically about what the president is allowed to do and the privileges that they have, and, and you've talked about this, I've, I've heard in other places, when you talk to other attorneys, and not necessarily just your folks who are on your team, do you get the, the idea that everybody understands what a huge case this is? And not just about Donald Trump, but I think in setting a precedent to where if, if this went through, and the Supreme Court, which I, I think you alluded to, it's going to go there. But if they say that President Trump could get charged, that is a game changer for every president that will follow for the rest of our country. Yeah, you know, in American history, no former president has ever before been prosecuted for their official acts in office. And I think there's good reason for that. You know, the presidency has awesome responsibilities and awesome powers. I don't think it's possible to be an effective president if you're constantly looking over your shoulder wondering if whether a future administration is going to prosecute you for it or not. I think that's why our constitutional system is set up the way it is. And I think that's why it's so outrageous what they're trying to do to President Trump here. Uh, but when you break it down for lawyers, even not Republican lawyers, when you know we've asked questions like, could Barack Obama be prosecuted for, uh, for drone strikes that he ordered? Could George W. Bush be prosecuted uh, for acts relating to the start of the Iraq war? Uh, how about Joe Biden with uh, with the border, with the Afghanistan withdrawal? 
when you really break it down, the idea that a president uh, can just be prosecuted once the political winds turn, uh, it's totally at variance with our traditions, and it's totally at variance with the constitutional system of government we have in this country. Uh, that's why I think at the end of the day we're going to win, uh, why at the end of the day I, I think President Trump is going to be vindicated here. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's possible for a president to just go about his day-to-day responsibilities uh, if in the back of his mind he has to wonder what a you know potentially partisan prosecutor uh, in any part of the country might do down the road. I, I just don't think that's the way the system is supposed to work. We're talking with Will Scharf. He is a former federal prosecutor. He is on the Trump legal team. He is a candidate for Missouri Attorney General. And I guess you're at the season now where uh, the campaign is really going to have to get ramped up because we finally made it into election year. Yeah, you know, we've been hard at it for a year now. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about. We've been to every corner of the state. We're continuing to do that. I'll be down in southwest Missouri this weekend. Uh, But it's been really heartening just talking to fired up conservatives all over Missouri, people who are ready to take our country back, people who are ready to take our state back. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction and disenchantment uh, with the Jefferson City elites who have been running this state for a long time. And if there's anything that keeps me going, it's really just getting the opportunity to spend a lot of time with good conservatives all over Missouri. I think there's a there's a lot to be optimistic about for our state's future. Well, Will, we appreciate you taking some time and talking with us today. Uh, I, I'm really holding a great thought that your your case is going to turn out well. I, I just feel like it's going to. And uh, I appreciate you making some time on an MLK day because I know this is probably one of the few days you're going to have a chance to catch a breath. So thanks for spending some time with us today on 97.1. No, it's really great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me and uh, looking forward to seeing hopefully some fun results out of Iowa in just a few hours. Thanks Look, so much. Looking forward to it. Take care. That is Will Scharf. It's It just seems like we have so much that is going on these days in the legal avenues that you just shake your head and go, that can't be possible. Are they really going to do that? Sure enough. I feel like the legal capacity is, it's their version of here, hold my beer. Sure, we can we can figure out something. Hey, we are going to talk to Steve Malloy on the other side. It's cold. Have you noticed that? Uh, why? <laughs> we'll figure it out. A 97.1 FM talk. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.